the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth, and it's a delight, as we do most Wednesdays, to have Congressman John Shattuck in studio with us. Congressman Shattuck served um, in Congress representing Arizona's old 4th Congressional District for 16 years. Part of the, years. Yeah, 16 years. Part of the original and famous class of 1994, what's sometimes known as the Gingrich Revolution. And um, he was, uh, at one point, the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, which was uh, considered the uh, conservative uh, think tank to the Republican caucus in um, in Congress. And uh, he is now the uh, an attorney and uh, the head of Shattuck and Associates here in town. John, there's a lot to go through today. <laughs> and um, it's interesting. The media, I mean, the House Oversight Committee did a long uh, political verbal request for investigation of the Biden family, which I talked about earlier in the show, with a lot of really, I mean, I think important things that they had to say and what they have discovered. Um, Nine Bidens implicated in a pay-to-play scheme while Joe was vice president. Millions of dollars wired to Biden bank accounts. That stopped when he left office. A tangled web of Biden companies tied to Chinese spying companies. But the media, of course, is focusing on the Republican, George Santos, member of Congress in New York. George Santos, people will recall, uh, flipped a seat uh, from the Democrats, uh, but also did so seemingly on a biography that um, (laughs) lacks in much truth. Uh, Today he was um, indicted on uh, several charges uh, that um, haven't been tried, and uh, the calls are that uh, he resign or be forced to resign. Did you have much of this when you were in Congress? Did you have calls for resignation of members based on ethics or indictment problems when you were in Congress? This seems like it's a new thing, and I don't know if it's because of people not self-policing. I don't know if it's our own ethical problems in America. I don't know if it's hope overactive and hyperactive district attorneys. But it seems like there's more of this than I recall. Well, it it would make sense that there's more of it because the world, uh, or at least the United States, is vastly more partisan than it was in my day. And uh, this whole concept of identity politics, where politicians see it as a huge advantage to them if they can divide their constituents. Uh, And that way they can paint themselves as being uh, the the correct candidate or the best candidate for a divided group of people. And they can get on one side or the other of the divide uh, and make an appeal. I don't remember any specific... Um, efforts to remove a particular member, though I, I kind of have a hunch there were – I don't think there was one to have anybody voted out that yeah, I Yeah, I don't think so either. I, some left on their own accord. Maybe Livingston did at one point Livingston on his own accord. Did, yes. Livingston was scheduled yeah. to be the speaker. That's and, right. And the scandals surrounding him surfaced and right. he stepped aside. There, there were – Others, I think. Gingrich took himself out too. I think Curtis, after I, well, Gingrich, yeah, Gingrich after a failed as uh, well 
after a failed uh, general well, actually, midterm election, it, yeah, in 98. Yeah, I think it, was it was not a right. um, an ethics scandal no. like uh, like Livingston, like Livingston right. was. Livingston was a, an extramarital affair, right. as I recall. Um, but not actual removal. I think there was some criticism and some – there may have been a censure or there may have been – uh, some things along those lines, but I don't recall a vote to remove or not remove. Of course, the votes we had where members were pretty deeply divided was to impeach or not to impeach. And if you were going to impeach Clinton on which counts. And I had uh, most Republicans were pretty convinced that he should be impeached on every count. I had a very dear friend from Indiana who who couldn't go along with one count and I'd can't now recall. So he voted not to impeach on at least one count, maybe two counts, but uh, that's as close as we came. Yeah. And, and, and there is a provision in the Constitution that the House can remove a member of Congress. I think it takes two-thirds vote to do so, but that it can do other things like censure. I have to tell you, um, today would not be the right day, given what the House Oversight Committee has said and found and thrown over to the Department of Justice vis-a-vis the Biden family. But I think Santos is a problem, and I was early on saying there should be pretty much – I, you know, if I had my way, John, I would have every Republican member of the caucus step up to him and say to him, you can't do this. I mean he did get elected, and we don't want to overturn the will of the people, but he got elected on a fraud. He got elected on a biography that just wasn't true. It was kind of a fraud on the constituency. And, of course, the, the countervailing argument is, well, they do it all the time. Why are we, why are we being harder on ourselves than the Democrats are? Or um, the majority is so thin we can't, we can't afford to lose him. I, I, it just seems to me he's, he's, a, he's an albatross on our neck. My view of the issue has changed over time. Uh, I think I used to be more deferential to the fact that his constituents or – her constituents, depending upon who the member was, uh, have the right to elect whom they choose. However, only the institution can preserve its reputation. And we've now gotten, you and I have talked about it on the show before, uh, I grew up as a kid thinking that the FBI was untouchable even before the untouchables aired on TV. And what that meant was these were absolute square shooters. They told the truth in every instance. They abided by the law. They understood it. And they understood that it was essential to the institution that they follow the law. And now uh, we've talked about it. If, uh, you know, with all due respect, if two FBI agents or five showed up on my front door tomorrow and said they want to come in, I'd say, you know, uh, that address right above the door is my address, and there are the chairs on our front porch. You're welcome to sit there until my defense attorney re- arrives because I just don't trust the institutions. And you look at that, and that's happening to all of our institutions. So if the entity, the Congress, can't defend its reputation, how does it defend itself as an institution? Yeah. So I think uh, I think they 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 need to be subject to the law, and it should apply to everybody equally. And uh, Mr. Biden shouldn't be able to get uh, special treatment. His son shouldn't be able to get special treatment. Mr. Trump shouldn't be able to get special treatment. There ought to be equal justice uh, equal justice applied to all of them. And in the case of an institution or a guy like Santos. I, I think the institution has to look at itself and say, we are going to hold ourselves 
each of us is going to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Yeah, I, I, I think I think end of day that's right. I, I, I do want to ask you, because there's been in the Republican Party a lot of calls for reform at the Department of Justice, if not even really abolishing and replacing this once vaunted FBI that you and I grew up with thinking, you know, this, these were people that were uh, that, that, that were above the above the pale. Uh, with integrity, it turns out it's maybe one of the institutions in Washington with the least amount of integrity and nonpartisanship. Um, where do you come down on how we do reform the Department of Justice? I, I will tell you, my answer is fairly simple. <clears throat> At least verbally, it's simple. Most of these problems we talk about are problems that require political solutions. That is to say, we have to win elections and we have to get the right people in and they have to clean house. And too often, we just seem to have so much um, sclerosis in these institutions that they're impervious to certain amounts of change. You and I, a couple weeks ago, were talking about uh, Porter Goss trying to do it at the CIA. He couldn't uh, because it was so, I guess, to use the word again, sclerotic. But we really do need to clean up these things. There's absolutely no question about it. Uh, The reality is... Uh, a lot of people come to me and talk to me about term limits. And uh, I believe term limits are extremely well intended, but they are, I'm afraid, a remedy that uh, won't ultimately achieve its intended purpose. And I'm not certain that they have achieved their intended purpose here in the Arizona. Um, One of my concerns, and I think we talked about this, Um, I made a promise to my constituents when I ran that I would introduce a bill uh, saying that every piece of legislation a member introduced had to cite the provision of the Constitution, which gave the federal government the authority to legislate in that particular area. And it was killed dead as a doornail, not by a member, but by a staffer. (laughs) And and my fear of term limits is that... uh, Staffers will become vastly more powerful, yeah. and they already are pretty yeah. powerful. But but just because I can identify a flaw in term limits doesn't mean that the problem doesn't need to be solved. Uh, you have members that, that do stay too long, and you have an entire bureaucracy uh, that is entrenched and and comes to believe they are above the law. Period. Let me come back on that when we come back. Let's take a quick commercial break. John Shattuck, Congressman Shattuck is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Congressman John Shattuck is our guest. We're talking about... Uh, the unelected uh, bureaucracy that uh, might even be called a leviathan that operates in Washington, D.C., these uh, unnamed, unelective, uh, unelected, quiet people that Ronald Reagan liked to quote about that we never see who do the most damage. There's an interesting, actually, op-ed a little bit to this effect in the Wall Street Journal today by a former secretary of the interior. I, I, I didn't know him, David Bernhardt. Maybe you did, John. Uh, you, you do a lot of a lot of uh, work up against the government. But he, I don't know him, but I read the article. It, yeah, and it must have informed. He said the federal government has 2.2 million civilian employees, but only 4,000 of them are political employees that the president can remove at will. Career bureaucrats who aren't elected by the American people or appointed by the president, therefore, make many major policy uh, decision, decisions. The system presumes career employees will implement the law and presidential directives 
Uh, but uh, many employees faithfully just or don't think they faithfully work for the American people, but for their institutions and their ongoing their ongoing bureaucratic uh, predispositions. That's what you were getting about with that kind of shift also in the con- on the congressional side. These staffers, yes, I, uh, I, I, I dealt a lot with staffers in Congress, and, and you're right. They, 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 they long outlive and long outstay the tenure of a congressperson, which is one problem with term limits. Uh, the other problem is I do think you tend to lose good people that you would like to have the opportunity to reelect over time. You throw out the baby with the bathwater. But the bureaucratic reform is, is I think, imperative. The ability to take these careers so two point two million employees, federal government. I mean, how can anything get done? That's a great question, and it does kind of go to the question of: uh, Is big in and of itself, when it comes to government, bad? Right. And I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, you know how. Do you, it's probably impossible to sort through those two point two million and figure out who are kind of sincere, genuine human human beings who understand we are a nation of laws and we abide by the rule of law and that what that means is they're supposed to apply whatever laws their agency is responsible for applying in a nonpartisan and unbiased way. Um, and, and they are not to allow themselves uh, to uh, kind of be dragged off into their personal opinion. Um, I look back uh, a few years back uh, um, when we had the redistricting commission here in Arizona, which we still do, uh, a lawyer I knew uh, when I was in the attorney general's office uh, became uh, one of the two lawyers at the redistricting commission. And each party got one in those days, at least. Uh, So there would be a Republican lawyer advising the redistricting commission and a Democrat lawyer advising the redistricting commission. Uh, addressing commission. And this particular woman lawyer was absolutely clear-minded and I would say near brilliant on the job of a government lawyer. Mm -hmm. The job of a private sector lawyer is to defend their client uh, zealously within the bounds of the law, do everything they can to defend their client and advance their client's position. The job of a government lawyer, and lots of government lawyers don't even know this, is to effectuate the law. It's not to make – so let's say they're adv- advising the head of the prisons department. Mm-hmm. It's not to give the head of the prisons department every answer he or she wants. It's to tell the head of the prisons department this is the law. Right. So this particular woman um, – I don't know if I'm supposed to name names, but I have no rule against it, but you don't have to. We get the well, point. Her name was Lisa Hauser, yeah. and she respected the law. Yeah. And so she sat down with the Democrat attorney and said, look, our job isn't to give partisan advice just because I'm the Republican lawyer and you're the Democrat lawyer. Our job is to read these laws. They were intended as a reform so that redistricting wouldn't be partisan. And we're supposed to follow the law and not be partisan even though you know, toward, I'm not supposed to be a partisan toward the Republicans, you're not supposed to be partisan uh, toward the Democrats. I don't remember his name, but he agreed. And they gave advice to the Redistricting Commission that was right down the middle. And I think they produced the best, best set of maps we've had in since the Redistricting Commission came into existence. Since then, I don't think it was in this last cycle, but in the cycle before that, the 
it was so partisan that the Democrat majority on the commission, which is to say that the chairman wound up being actually a Democrat, though she, she had denied it, essentially, or a partisan Democrat, um, the Democrat majority picked the Republicans' lawyer mm-hmm. and didn't let the lawyer. The Republicans even picked their own lawyer. Yeah. You know, they, government lawyers have a different role. And I think a lot of people at public jobs understand that they are supposed to implement these laws the way the legislature wrote them. Uh, but w- that, you know, there are many people who break those rules. Look at look at the clear evidence that many in the intelligence community now openly admit they desperately wanted to see Trump defeated and mm-hmm. Biden elected and by gosh, whatever they had to do, they would do it. Yeah. Uh, with 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 the cover and lording over of their security clearances, which I just think is is Another thing, these ongoing security clearances that abide or obtain with people after they leave office, I think that would be interesting legislation to look at and propose as to why they need them and why they should have them. I know why they want them. They want them so that they can do exactly that. They can use them either for their um, either for their lobbying practices or their consulting uh, bona fides, uh, but to use it in the way that they did that altered an election. Uh, there were poll- there was polling that said let's not forget what happened here these these uh, ex intelligence officials um, got together deputy former deputy director of the CIA directly wrote a member of the Biden campaign who is now our secretary of state saying that we can get intelligence officials to validate that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian misinformation is a Russian covert operation scheme and get that as a talking point for Joe Biden in the upcoming debates. And the FBI took that letter once it was written and signed on and pressured social media companies to censor the New York Post, the oldest newspaper in the country founded by Alexander Hamilton. And we had exit polling, John, exit polling by Biden voters who said if they knew of that story, they wouldn't have voted for Biden enough to have switched the election. Whatever you want to say about other uh, other problems in the election of 2020, that one was substantiated. They changed an election. Absolutely substantiated. And it would be one thing if, for example, the FBI hadn't in fact right. known that it was right. not Soviet. That's the other thing. They had it for they a year. They had it yes. for a year. The yep. first, I remember the day that I heard on the radio or on the TV that the FBI – had been in possession of the actual computer for a year, right. almost a full year or maybe a little over a full year before uh, they, they engaged in this activity. Yeah, before the, yes, exactly right. And by it, the way, during that time, the impeachment of Trump for go, for what he had done in Ukraine was going on. That's right. How in God's name right. did they hide it from the American public while he was being impeached over that very issue? If, if you want to know, if, if you think... Taking action against the FBI based on its record now is extreme. You don't understand its record. Nicely put. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Shadig, Congressman John Shadig, is my guest. And uh, one of the things he and I like doing uh, more than anything uh, beyond the news of the day, which we covered in the last couple of segments, is talking a little bit conservative philosophy. And it seems, John, every several years, moments arrive to um, to our to our to our movement 
that takes us into a conversation about the meanings and the directions of the conservative movement, not just the Republican Party, but the movement itself. And there have been various names thrown around to identify different parts. Most of them today seem to me insufficient, quite frankly. Um, but one of the inter- <clears throat> internal and now seeming and somewhat external debates the movement is having has to do with foreign and defense policy, particularly with regard to our allies. I am hearing more and more conservatives, John, say that if China moves on Taiwan, it is not in the U.S. interest to help defend Taiwan. And I have to tell you, I've heard this more times than I care to say. It also seems to me an entire collapse of the modern conservative movement, which was so animated on, if not Taiwan, who? Uh, if we don't defend Taiwan, who? I'll lay out a few, a, few, a, few, uh, a few lanes here and you drive down anyone you want. <laughs> but the first one is um, China, as a Maoist Marxist country, is on the march. And the domino theory is true. So where do and when do we stop them if we plan on doing it? Question two is if we have the ability to stop them either rhetorically and verbally rhetorically and and you know presidentially and militarily and then lane 3 a, a brief reminder of our history the right of the conservative movement is led by Bill Buckley and Barry Goldwater in the 1970s was more probably animated on the defense of Taiwan than almost any other foreign policy interest. William Buckley endorsed John Ashbrook for president against a sitting president, Richard Nixon, in 1972, almost exclusively on the Taiwan issue. And of course, it was Barry Goldwater in 1979 who got us the Taiwan Relations Act, which is pretty simple in what it says. And it says that it is our obligation to help defend the Republic of China. Anyway, take it take it wherever you want, sir. Um, I clearly share the concern. And I think it raises a very fundamental question, I guess a fundamental question for conservatives, but perhaps for all Americans. Um, it seems to me that um, one of the things that has made uni- America unique – Uh, through time, is that it has advanced a position based on uh, values. Uh, And those values are uh, freedom. Uh, I think they are truth. They are the rule of law. Uh, They are principles that lay out what we think should guide the world. And what we're confronted with right now is a very different circumstance where China, I think, is saying to the world, well, we believe we should be the leader of the world and we should set, uh, you know, the standard. And that that standard is not going to be based on values like democracy or one man, one vote. Or Or any vote. (laughs) Or any vote. uh, Or... Uh, equal justice for all or anything along the lines of principles or values, it's going to be set by force. And if we, China, can become the world's most powerful nation, then we get to rule. 
And and if we're still, uh, you know, just a handful of uh, individuals in league in the Communist Party and we've got enough guns or missiles to call upon, then we'll do whatever we please, which means we can take your property whenever we feel like it. For that matter, we can take your life whenever we feel like it. And if we're not fans of the Uyghurs, Uyghurs, however you pronounce it, uh, um, and and we don't like what they stand for or what they believe in, well, you know, we can imprison them and we can uh, require them to engage in forced labor. And I think that's unacceptable. And it's manifest today in uh, the question about should how far should we go in defending Ukraine? And to me, the so-called Republicans or conservatives who are saying uh, this is a territorial dispute uh, are missing the entire point. If if the standard in the world becomes any power that claims to have or any country or nation that claims to have nuclear weapons can steal at will uh, the land of its neighbors uh, and call it a territorial dispute, we're in deep water. Let me. Uh, uh, that's let me, the yeah. Go ahead. End of Ukraine. That's the end of Taiwan, and that's the rule to the Russians and the Chinese and then the Iranians. Do what you want if you got the, if you've got the weapon. People didn't want to fight for Danzig, so they ended up fighting for all of Europe. John and I will be right back. How you think the Biden administration is handling the economy along with everything else? Well, you think about the bank failures, the stock market volatility. Um, You think about the possible recession and inflation. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? An investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in the secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 12, uh, up to 10.25% Two five percent fixed rate of return. We're talking about Y Refi. Y Refi is locally based. They are um, located right on the Scottsdale Road on Scottsdale Road in the one hundred and one. I encourage you to stop by. You won't get a sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y Refi, you will see why I like them so much and trust them so much, and you can too. Y Refi is a due diligence approved firm. And as I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return with them. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. That's 888-Y-REFI-34. Um, John had to run. That's fine. We will um, we will uh, pick up that. What I think is probably uh, an eternal uh, conversation with him on uh, on uh, our conservative philosophy and posture when it comes to what we should be doing in the defense of our allies and those we have made commitments to. In that thinking, I just want us to also think about the commitments to ourselves, which include the commitments to standing against Marxist communism. The problem is really very deep. It's not only a question of whether we have the military and the military capability uh, to defend a country like Taiwan, but 
beyond that question, it's also a question of how we're using our military today and what put us in a position where we even have to ask that question. That's the awful question. Montesquieu put it that if a country uh, disappears because of the loss of one battle, if a country loses a war because of the loss of one battle, the question needs to be asked is, what were the conditions of that country such that it could lose an entire war based on the loss of one battle? And the conditions in this country are not good. They're not good in a lot of places, sadly to say, including in our military, which is increasingly being used as a sociological experiment, not like people were worried about in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but much akin to what people are worried about taking place in our schoolrooms across the country with transgenderism, transgender recruitment, transgender performing arts, that sort of thing. The kind of thing I can very much guarantee you is not taking place in the Chinese military. Now, if we are going to be a serious country, we have to have serious things. That means including our sovereignty and our border and our military. It means our education. It means the whole warp and woof of that which constitutes America. But part of that warp and woof is how we think of ourselves. And when you look at the concerns we have about a rising, growing, increasingly avaricious China, what is it about that growing and avaricious China we are worried about that we wouldn't be worried about, say, if it were Poland or, say, if it were Hungary or, say, if it were the United States of America? which has never wanted to be avaricious. But what is is the reason? It's not just that China is another country. We wouldn't have these concerns, as I say, if it were Great Britain or Hungary or Poland or one of our major allies. We wouldn't. And why wouldn't we? Because they're not steeped and soaked and drenched in spreading and governing by Marxist philosophy. That's why there is something different about China than there is in contrast to allies, be they NATO countries like Poland or Great Britain, that must require of us to ask ourselves, what is the governing philosophy here? What is the sociological philosophy here? We can scream about Maoist philosophy in China, But what about when we adopt it for ourselves here? What about when we are adopting it here when it comes to interpretations of our Constitution, when it comes to eviscerations of freedom of speech, when it comes to the down market and and downgraded and degraded view of freedom of religion, when it comes to the attempt to Karl Marx-like overcome nature and instantiate the notion that we can be as gods, the second oldest religion in the world, as Whitaker Chambers point out, and the overcoming of nature being the desiderata desiderata of Marxism. He writes it out complete and fully in chapter two of the Communist Manifesto. The disappearance of the family, the elevation of racial superiority, 
is are people noticing that here? Yes, of course they are. So when it comes to stopping the physical and kinetic march and growth and expansion of a country like China, stopping Maoism in its tracks, a very, very serious consideration has to be about whether we have Maoism and too much of it here too. We have big problems, in other words. We have foreign adversaries and foreign threats, and we have internal philosophical and ideological ones as well. We've got to be able to fight on both fronts. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. David Dahl, thank you. Thank you for that intro song. What uh, motor company sponsored the TV show Charlie's Angels and featured only Ford motor cars? Oh, I know this one. Ford Motor Company. Yeah, I said it, but you did know it. I know I said featured only Ford motor cars. I didn't mean to give it away in the answer, but you did know it. Do you remember what the, the three major cars were? Oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a Thunderbird, yeah. and the, the Mustang because yeah. Phil Fawcett was right. promoting the Mustang. I think that's too. right. Yeah, there was an LTD. Bosley had an LTD, and was it the um, what was the Torino? Uh, the Cobra, the Cobra Two. Yeah, that was the Mustang. Oh, that was a Cobra Two was the Mustang, the LTD, and then there was one. Or, there was a Pinto. I think there was a Pinto in there. Ah, okay. Kate Jackson, yeah. I think, had the Pinto. She got the short end of the stick, I think, on that one, and we're missing one probably, aren't we? Yeah, that was the Pinto that blew up. We, yeah, no, no. There was a Pinto, there was an LTD, there was the Cobra, and we're missing one because we don't have Jacqueline Smith's car, I don't think. You say Thunderbird? Oh, maybe it was the Thunderbird. You're right. It was the Thunderbird. Well done, sir. Well done. All right. Yeah, folks, if you haven't had a chance to read the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today by David Bernhardt about what the entrenched bureaucracy John uh, Shattuck and I were talking about, please do. It's a wake-up call, and it should be a big issue for the Republican Party. We were talking yesterday about uh, the Republican Party having to get on board with pushing uh, incentives for homeschooling. Also, bureaucratic reform. You can't continue, even when you win elections, to operate the government along the lines of the people who elected you believe you are going to when you have a federal government of 2.2 million employees who think that they, their jobs and their views are more important than the person who is going to be in that office for four years because they're there for life and they have a different agenda. That reform needs to be taken up as well. Got a lot of work to do. David, thank you. And thank you all for spending some of your afternoon with us. We take none of it for granted. Until tomorrow. I am Seth Leibson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.